I'm hoping this email finds everyone well. I'm trying to finish that work project while carrying Dan's dead weight. I've got to get my hair cut for Sinead's sister's bed and get the sweet gains in and find the time to eat before I... Look, James, get real. No one gives a about how busy you are. Hashtag rise and grind. Get real with the chicken and turkey range from Green Farm. Real protein, real tasty. Future Proof Extra from News Talk. Now, the brain is a prediction machine, and most of the time it's actually a pretty good one. So often what we expect to happen does indeed actually happen. But could it sometimes be the expectation itself that causes the very thing that we think is about to occur? Well, David Robson is a science writer specialising in psychology, neuroscience and medicine and author of The Expectation Effect, How Your Mindset Can Change Your World. He joins me now. David, you're very welcome to the programme. Tell me a little bit about this expectation effect. What is it exactly? Um, So uh, put simply, the expectation effect is the phenomenon where our beliefs and expectations become a self-fulfilling prophecy through our perception, our behaviour and even through physiological change. Um, I always like to differentiate it from kind of the other kind of positive thinking titles that you see around you, because this isn't just about the idea of always seeing the glass as being half full or always looking on the bright side of life. This is talking about very specific expectations and beliefs in specific situations or about specific events. And then the the kind of um, self-fulfilling prophecy that arises from those specific beliefs. So you're talking about very specific thinking, and that, as you say, is, is different from the think-yourself-thin sort of hogwash that we see in, in uh, some self-help books. So, so give me an example of, of what exactly you're talking about, because um, there was a really interesting study uh, that looked at cleaners in Massachusetts. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is the perfect example. So, you know, if you look at books like The Secret that talk about this kind of law of attraction where you just like, if you kind of think positive and feel happy, then good things happen to you. Um, You know, that's not very helpful at all. And, you know, there's no science behind that kind of um, positive thinking having any kind of benefit to your life. But what this study showed actually was that it's much more about your expectations of, of a particular situation. So, these researchers just took these um, hotel cleaners and asked them to reinterpret the way they looked at their work. So what the cleaners hadn't realised beforehand was that actually all of the work they were doing, the hoovering, the changing the beds, you know, lifting furniture, that that's actually like a workout. Like, you know, the amount of calories you burn, the kind of uh, benefits to your heart are the equivalent of, um, of going to the gym. And so they just gave these cleaners this information. They weren't asking them to kind of artificially imagine anything that wasn't true. They were actually just presenting scientific facts to the cleaners. Um, Then they left them for a month and came back and they measured their weight and their blood pressure. And they found that actually there were some positive changes to these cleaners. You know, their blood pressure had fallen. They'd actually lost a, a little bit of weight, a couple of pounds. That was compared to a control group of cleaners who hadn't been given this information that allowed them to reappraise the work they were doing. So what we can see there is that actually just this re, um, factual objective reinterpretation of, of something that these cleaners were doing actually changed their bodies. And we now understand all of the mechanisms that can explain how that would be. And it, it all involves the the idea that the brain is this kind of prediction machine that's kind of constantly um, adapting its kind of physiology based on the kind of challenges that are ahead. And what we see here is that it was actually the equivalent, say, of um, the placebo effect in medicine. You know, they were actually getting a placebo effect from the exercise that they were doing. Yeah, um, although they were actually doing the exercise um, to get that effect, which makes it sort of slightly different 
um, to taking a sugar pill, right? Right, exactly. But what it was doing was that they weren't getting the full benefits of that exercise before they realised. So you probably have two separate issues here. You have the the kind of actual um, immediate benefits of the exercise, but then you also get the kind of additional potential benefits that you can have from this positive expectation effect. And we say exactly the same in medicine, actually, that when you take a painkiller, some of it is from the direct chemical action of the drug, and some of it is from your expectation that the drug is going to help. And it's the combination that we actually feel whenever we take a paracetamol or any other kind of analgesic medicine. Um, That was exactly what was happening here. You had the direct physiological effects and then the physiological effects that came from expectation rather than from the exercise itself. Uh, Give me another example of of this sort of reframing of expectation and and what it can do in terms of improving ourselves. Sure. I mean, another brilliant example, I think, comes from um, uh, studies looking at kind of dieting. And again, you know, if you were thinking of just like uh, kind of vague positive thinking, you might imagine that you could just imagine yourself in and somehow your body will lose the uh, weight just by kind of visualizing that. But actually, this was, again, about specific expectations of the food that people are consuming. Um, Now, this is a bit counterintuitive, but actually, when you see all of the labeling around health foods, uh, what you find is that, you know, they always kind of emphasize um, the kind of what they're lacking, it creates a mindset of scarcity. You know, they're always like, low fat, low calories, you know, sensible, they don't really have that kind of sense of indulgence. And researchers just gave participants two identical milkshakes. Some had those kind of healthy labels that kind of created the mindset of scarcity. The others presented the milkshake as this kind of indulgent, delicious treat, you know, it emphasized the flavor, like how satisfying it was going to be to eat it. And then they measured these participants, uh, kind of uh, levels of the uh, hormone ghrelin, the hunger hormone. So the higher that is, the more hungry you're going to feel. And what they found was that actually, based solely on the labels, even though the milkshakes were identical, the hormonal response was different. So when people were eating the shake that they believed to be low calories and low fat, that they actually maintained higher levels of ghrelin, which was going to influence their appetite later. It was going to stimulate them to keep eating. Um, Those who saw it as an indulgent treat, on the other hand, they saw a drop in the hunger hormone. So they actually were feeling more satisfied, like subjectively, but also physiologically, they were showing this difference in their hormonal response to that food. How long lasting is this effect? I mean, the placebo effect is famously associated with sort of, I suppose, sensations, whether it's pain relief or or whatever, that are difficult to to nail down. They're difficult to measure um, because they're self-reported, right? So I feel pain. How much pain do I feel? You've no idea, but I say it's a six. Could be a two on your scale. When it comes to these uh, sort of effects that you're talking about of of expectation, how long will they last? Is this a sort of a a parlor trick or is there actual benefits we can get from this? No, you know, it's not a parlor trick at all. And actually, even with the placebo effect, um, you're right that some of it is uh, subjective. But actually, we also know there are objective physiological changes there too. So when you take a placebo painkiller, you know, partly it might just be that you're subjectively rating the pain as as less bad. But also, actually, we know that it also triggers the release of the brain's endogenous painkillers. So opioids mm. um and that actually you know that's measurable with brain uh, brain scans you can see this release of those important neurochemicals that can dampen down pain so we actually know that in medicine even we are seeing you know like actual changes that help the body to heal um and 
you know, actually, even in medicine, we can also see that this can have long term effects on recovery. So when you people have had heart surgery, uh, researchers in Marburg, Germany, they um, they actually just before the operation, they uh, presented to these uh, participants a kind of a series of like sessions one on one with a psychologist where they could discuss their expectations of recovery and set a kind of optimistic but realistic plan for the uh, the way they might feel and the um, the kind of things that they might be able to do in the coming months. And what they found was that that did actually then accelerate their recovery. Hmm. Um, and it was also measurable in, you know, not just in like whether they were able to return to work, but also in things like the inflammatory markers within the body. You know, they were much lower in these people who had changed their expectations compared to the people who had had exactly the same medical treatment, you know, treatment as normal, but just hadn't had the additional uh, kind of boost to their expectations. This expectation effect can also work against it, can't it, um, in the case of things like nocebo, for example? Yeah, that's exactly, you know, like I think that's really important for us to recognise is that we're always experiencing expectation effects, you know, throughout our life. Some of them might be good, but some of them are actually needlessly negative. And the nocebo effect is one example of that. Um, so the nocebo effect is the opposite of the placebo effect. So it's when you expect to feel ill, you feel ill. And I actually experienced that myself when I was put on these antidepressant pills. Um, And I was warned by my doctor that they could cause headaches as a side effect. And I experienced really bad migraines. Now, that could have been the direct chemical action of the drug. But what I discovered just by chance, actually, was that by changing my mindset, that the um, that, you know, it relieved the headaches. Um, and I did that just because I was, I happened to be writing an article about the nocebo effect. And <laughs> that made me start thinking, well, you know, may, maybe I'm suffering from this myself. And, you know, I think I read a paper, the relevant paper in the morning, kind of uh, went out for lunch, had a good glass of water. And by the afternoon and evening, the pain had gone. So that was a very powerful uh, kind of demonstration of this principle to me. I'd say actually with the uh, nocebo effect, again, we actually see that these um, this pain isn't simply imagined, but it can also be traced to kind of physiological markers. So when people um, like me suffer from a nocebo headache, what you actually find is that that's um, linked to kind of changes in the brain's chemistry that change things like the uh, dilation of the blood vessels that's causing the pain. So again, it's it's objective. It's not just someone subjectively feeling a little bit ill because they're imagining it. You know, it's real pain that's coming from the nocebo effect and real relief when you change your expectations. Hang on a second, David. You're telling me that if I take a medicine and it says, you know, side effects include, uh, you know, stomach pains, that I'm more likely to get those stomach pains because I've learned that that is a side effect. If that's the case, then... Why do we not tell people about the side effects and they won't have them or at least won't have them as strongly? So this is a big dilemma for doctors because you have to (laughs) obtain um, informed consent from patients, you know, so you do actually have to tell them about the risks. But so what um, philosophers and scientists have been looking at is how can you do that responsibly so you don't accidentally give someone a nocebo effect? Because, of course, the doctor's over also includes this item that they must do no harm. So, you know, it almost seems like a lose-lose situation there. They can't win. But um, but there are ways that you can present the information to reduce the nocebo effect. And, you know, this often, again, is just about framing. So, and the way you present that information. So if you tell someone that 10% of people will suffer from a headache, that, you know, um, intuitively feels like quite a lot. If you reframe that same piece of information and say, 
some people feel uh, suffer from a headache, but 90% of people are fine, then people, you know, focus on that 90%. Hmm. It feels like it's less likely, even though the information <laughs> is the same. And that then reduces the um, number of people who suffer from the nocebo effect. So, you know, this is something that doctors are really taking notice of now. And, you know, I think it could really help to relieve a lot of patients' needless suffering. What about um, the expectation that something is helping you? Say, for example, in sport, that, you know, the, uh, some uh, you know, sports stars don't change their socks or they have a lucky ring or whatever it is. Mm. Um, d- does that expectation that, you know, you're wearing your lucky jock strap, um, <laughs> does that actually improve um, performance? It does. And, you know, in some ways, <laughs> the, the lucky charms are almost acting like a placebo there. Um, I think they actually help in a number of different ways. So we do know actually that um, athletes who've taken, you know, a, what they think is a banned substance, but it's actually a, a you know, dummy pill, uh, that they do actually perform better because of changes uh, to the ways their body is actually performing. So things like their um, the brain makes sure that they recruit more muscle fibers, for example, because the brain has this perception that they have more resources <laughs> at their disposal. Um, But with Lucky Charms, actually, I think something slightly different is happening there. And I think that's also to do with the kind of mental focus. So with lots of athletes, um, you know, with these kind of really um, precise kind of skill-based sports like tennis, um, you know, they have loads of rituals beforehand. You know, I think Serena Williams has to tie her shoelaces in a certain way and she bounces the ball five times. And she she admits it's a superstition, but she also thinks that it really improves her performance. But is there any science to that, David? I mean, have researchers looked at this and said, actually, if this person doesn't tie their shoelaces or bounce the ball five times, they will play worse overall? They have. So they looked at these uh, basketball players pre-performance routines, as they called them. And they found that it made a huge difference to their accuracy. So it was really? actually, so in that case, it was actually changing the uh, mental focus of these athletes. Um, by doing that, they kind of felt like they were more in control, more focused. It kind of quietened their anxiety as well. And then all of that together led to, I think it was a 13% improvement in their accuracy, um, shooting kind of penalties from the side of the court. So really quite significant. And you know, something that you would want to bear in mind if you were an athlete. Finally, um, there was an interesting study looking at stress and uh, particularly stress uh, uh, in advance of performing in some way or or needing to do, do well. Can you tell us a little bit about how we might reframe that anxiety and stress to perform better? You know, I think this is another good example of the ways that um, I'm not kind of asking for a vague optimism or for us to kind of change our feelings in a way that's not honest to us emotionally, but actually just changing our interpretation. Um, So I'll give an example of public speaking. In the past, when I was going to give a talk, if I started feeling anxious, I would actually interpret that as a sign that I was going to perform badly. I assumed that I had to be calm to perform well, otherwise I would fail. Now, what the research shows is that that can be true if you have that mindset but that we have to remember that actually anxiety evolved for a reason, it's adaptive, and that some of the symptoms that seem scary are actually can be potentially very useful. So when the heart is pumping hard, that might feel uncomfortable, but it's actually pumping lots of blood to your brain that sharpens your thinking. And the same goes for the hormone cortisol, actually has a beneficial effect on our thinking, if we have the right mindset. So these hmm. researchers just kind of told um, their participants that, you know, just, uh, you know, instead of being scared of your anxiety, just wonder if it could actually, you know, be useful to you, just 
bear this in mind as you go about giving your talk or doing your exam. And they found that actually that improved the performance greatly. So people who were doing the public speaking, you know, like appeared less nervous on stage. Students taking a difficult maths exam performed much better. You know, it doesn't take much. I feel like that's actually quite easy to do, to just kind Mm. of open your mind to these uh, potential benefits of what you're feeling rather than trying to suppress it which in many cases only actually amplifies the feeling because when you fail to suppress the emotion you start panicking that you're not succeeding (laughs) and you just get into this kind of negative cycle of of negative thinking. David in terms of the quality of the science that you looked at um I, I wonder what you made of it in terms of reproducibility and the, the, the numbers of people taking part in these experiments, because a lot of it sounds it sounds great for a popular psychology book. But I know as a science writer, you were probably looking at these with a critical eye. How, how much of this is, uh, you know, pleasant observation of the data by the, the researchers and, and how much of it is is really, do you think, solid science that is actually useful? You know, I think the researchers have tried really hard to make this as solid as possible. And actually, I think the sheer size of the evidence base, you know, um, I cite um, far more than 450 papers within my article. I think it's now unquestionable that the expectation effect exists and that it's important. But I do think that we have to be careful to kind of put boundaries on, you know, when it can be applied and when it can't. And, you know, I'd give one example that like... um, you know, it seems now very solid that actually reframing anxiety in the way that I described can help lots of people. But I think we also have to bear in mind that that will obviously depend on the context. So if you have a student who's um, going into an exam and they're really nervous because they just haven't studied, because they don't know the material. Now, you know, it doesn't matter if they reframe their anxiety. It might make them feel a bit better. That's not going to improve their performance. It can't work miracles and just make you know, make that turn them into a genius. Um, mm. Similarly, you might have some people who just really struggle to change their mindset. They're going to have to persevere a bit more than someone else who maybe is naturally a bit more open-minded and able to question their assumptions. So mm. we do see variability, kind of individual differences within the study groups that can't be ignored. But I think what's really exciting is that the research is actually now starting to ask, well, you know, what can we do with those people who are struggling to change their mindsets? Like, how can we kind of help this process along? So I'm very positive that actually, you know, everyone can benefit from this. But we do need a bit more research to to look at kind of what to do with those particularly problematic cases. The book is called The Expectation Effect. The author is David Robson. David, thanks for your time. Thanks very much. 